You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Okay, open your Bibles up and thank you band, tech team, everyone, setup team worked so hard today. Get this rolling. The ushers are coming forward as well as um, some other volunteers are coming and they're handing out kids packs to kids as well as Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, turn in your Bible. Hey, Dwayne, I'll give you this. Till, turn to Mark chapter 1 as we continue on in our series here in the Gospel of Mark. Hold up your, bio, your hand if you need a Bible because I'd love... Please have your word, the word of God open because we're going to be up and down, up and down. Not like standing because you're out of shape, um, some of you anyways. And, and, and so it's up and down like with your eyes at least looking at the word, looking up here, looking ultimately to the cross where, where our hope is found. So Mark chapter 1 is we work to an amazing passage when a devil shows up, when a demon shows up in church. And kids, we welcome you here, and I hope you can be dialed in and listen well, and you have your kids' packs to keep you busy, but keep your ears open, because there's some important stuff for you to hear today. And remember, if anyone has to go to the washroom, it's right in the back corner there. Please avoid coming into the German hall unless you have kids that you need to go rescue from the nursery that are in there and um, are crying or whatever it might be. So... Um, and Hope Kids, next week you're going to be in the hall, ages 4 to, grade, to, to age 10, as you're going to start a summer series yourself. It's the Torchlighter series. It's true life heroes of faith who stood for God and for his purposes. The kids are going to be going through that this summer. And so we're just excited we can be here together. The weather is held off. We trust it's going to be a great morning. So Bible's open. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Isn't it amazing how in 24 hours... Things can happen. We're going to look at 24 hours today in the life of Jesus. 24 hours and we're going to see some pretty amazing things. And sometimes, let's face it, 24 hours can just fly by, right? At other times, it seems like 24 hours can be so slow and just, I mean, time just moves so still. I mean, in the 24 hours, look how the weather forecast changed, right? You know, it was looking really nice and hot and now, I mean, but we did get your memo from last week and, and so we turned on the air conditioning. So I trust that you're feeling a little cooler than, than you did last week. And, uh, you know, like weather people, I mean, come on. I mean, they get paid for being wrong. Like what a great job to have, hey? Anyways, we're thankful that the weather has held off and we are able to continue. And in 24 hours, we're going to look at a 24-hour segment in the life of Jesus and we're going to see some amazing things. In 24 hours, the kingdom of God advances in some amazing ways that we're going to see here in these verses we're going to look at today. And you know what I believe? Because of God's word, because of the authority in Jesus Christ, and because of God's spirit working today, in the next 24 hours, God's spirit and the kingdom can forcefully advance today. Amen? Amen. Lame. God, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the word of God, because of the power in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God can forcefully advance in and amongst our lives in this city, in this region, in this nation. Amen? That's good. That's what we're looking for. Anytime I say amen, it better be that loud or else we just quit. So, oh, some of you might take me up on that and say we get early out and get coffee and all of that. We're going to see four convictions. Have your pens, paper ready to go. Four convictions. Write this stuff down. This is important. Four convictions that grip the heart and the life of Jesus Christ. And you know what? These convictions 
ought to grip our hearts as well. And I hope that they do. I hope they do. Four convictions that characterize Jesus in this 24-hour segment and ought to characterize our lives every day for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. The first one, Jesus spoke with authority. Jesus wasn't a wimp. He spoke with authority. Look at verse 21 of Mark chapter 1. Eyes down in the word of God. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, okay, we'll just stop there. It says immediately on the Sabbath, what did Jesus do? He went to the synagogue. Jesus went to church. On the Sabbath, he went and he joined together the gathering of God's people. In Luke chapter 4, it says, as was his custom. From an early age, Mary and Joseph would take him to the synagogue. They would take him to the temple. This was part of his upbringing. This was part of his life. This was part of his custom. Now, synagogues were established in these days throughout the country, throughout the whole empire, Roman Empire even, wherever there were at least 10 Jewish families, wherever there was 10 Jewish families or more, a synagogue would be established. They were a place for worship, prayer, teaching, study, social gatherings. They were all held there. And on the Sabbath, people gathered together for a time of worship and prayer and teaching. Jesus did not neglect the gathering of God's people. He had busy days. He had full days. And he could have easily taken a day off, you know, stay home and, and rest, you know, with Pastor Pillow at Bedside Baptist. But he didn't do that. No, he, on, on, on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, he gathered with God's people. It was a priority. And if it was a priority for the greater, it should be a priority for us as a lesser. That we need to make the gathering of God's people, it ought to be a priority. Can I encourage you, make it a priority. Obviously, you have today. Online, make it a priority to gather together. We believe here at Hope in the flesh is best. And so if you're unwell, we understand we have it online. Uh, some have, have are shift workers and, and need to do that. But rearrange your life and your schedule. I encourage you. We can come up with so many excuses and, and, and where it's not a priority. And if your church attendance is not a priority and if it's tied to your feelings, you're probably not going to come that often. And you'll find a thousand excuses. Both Charlotte and I have talked, and I've talked with others, many of you, would also say that you are thankful for the way that your parents faithfully brought you to church. I mean, we had to be like really sick in order for us to miss church. It wasn't the fake, the tummy ache or anything like that. It was a valued priority. Sometimes we hated it. We didn't like it. Especially we had Sunday evening church and Walt Disney was starting at 6 a.m. or, or 6 p.m. And we had to miss, like we got 15 minutes of it. Like, oh, we have to go early for church. It starts at like 6.30. We could just get in there. Oh, no. It established at a young age and even at a more, at a teenage age, the gathering of God's people is essential. There's nothing on a Sunday that, that ought to grab our attention more than gathering together with God's people. It ought to be a priority in our lives and our families. And I can't tell you over the years, and so this is why I divert from this because I hear often, and I heard it again just this past week, of parents at times in tears regretting with sadness over wayward, wayward children. And they regret how they ran for everything else. And they made the priority of God's word and the gathering of his people a very low bar. And it sets a standard as far as what your children will value. Prioritize it. Please do that. Even this summer, you're off visiting, you're off vacationing. Sunday morning, find a church to gather with God's people. If you're like, well, I don't know if there's a good church. I mean, because there's 
be careful what church you walk into these days, but, but either you know, reach out to one of us as staff, to Brett, myself, to one of the elders. We would be able to, hey, I'm going to Saskatoon. What would, I, I got a good church for you to go in Saskatoon. Good one for you. Know, like who goes to Saskatoon or Regina for holidays, though, right? I mean, come on. I mean, like let's talk about Victoria and that. And I'm, yeah, anyways, make this a priority. So continuing on. He entered, end of verse 21, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus shows up and he, he somehow gets to speak. They, they probably, oh, Jesus is here. And so, in this up and coming rabbi, and so they get him to come and speak. And oftentimes it was the scribes who would read God's word at the synagogue. Scribes were often very devoted men. Devoted men who gave their lives to copying out the word of God. They didn't have printing presses in those days. So every copy of God's word was carefully, meticulously copied and put onto parchment, put onto scrolls, and stored carefully within the synagogue. And so they were super familiar with the word of God. They knew it probably inside and out after copying it, you know, day after day, month after month. They were often the, the ones then that were called upon to stand up in a synagogue gathering on the Sabbath and they would read the word of God. And then oftentimes they would give an interpretation of the word. And, and Rabbi so-and-so said this and Rabbi so-and-so said this. And, and, and so honestly, it sounds like it sometimes, I mean, scribes can be like accountants, all right? I mean, accountants are great people, and so I know we have some, I'm married to one. I mean, but you can be boring, you know, like you just love pencils and, and, and writing things out, and you love Excel spreadsheets, and not the most exciting of things, and, and now that I've offended a bunch of you, including my wife, we'll continue on. Well, scribes would just be writing the word. They'd just be writing meticulously, doing this. So when they would stand up to speak, oftentimes it was probably a little on the dry side, but then Jesus shows up, and Wow! He speaks with authority. And it says they were astonished. That word astonished that you see there in your Bibles, it means thunderstruck, panicked. They were in shock. The people, it means were hanging on every word. Who is this guy? Who's this guy that's up here speaking? This is amazing. We've never heard the word of God spoken like this before, they would say. And you see, there was an authority. It wasn't just passion and emotion that Jesus had. There was an authority that backed up what he said. Because here we have the Son of God speaking the very word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. How mighty is that? And God's word today, loved ones, listen up. God's word is authoritative. It has an authority in our lives it is the authority when it comes to life and death and heaven and hell. It is the authority when it comes to your sex life, when it comes to the description of marriage, when it comes to what gender is all about, when it comes to abortion, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to finances. God's word has an answer and God's word has the authority. Amen? Lame. There we go. Okay, better. God's word has the authority, amen? Yeah. Amen, okay, I trust that you believe it and you're just not saying that so you, you know, because you don't want to early out. And so you have the Son of God proclaiming the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful, this is amazing. 
But please, please, even today, don't let the word of God just simply wash over you. Don't let it go in one ear and out the next because you're already thinking what's going on this afternoon and with your life and all these different things and your plans and and all of that. God's word is that authority to lead us and to guide us. Oh, that we would be encouraged when we hear God's word proclaimed. When we read the word of God, would we be encouraged, challenged, taught, convicted, corrected all by God's word? whether we're reading it and studying it on our own, whether it's with others in, a, in, in, in study or whether it is here on a Sunday morning as God's word is proclaimed. And here at Hope, one of our convictions is bold preaching. We don't let wimps come and preach the word of God. We just can't. Because, and, and, and because we find that the authority is in the word of God. There's authority there. And so, and, and, and so one of our convictions is bold preaching, proclaiming the authority of God's word without... Apology. This is what God's word says. I don't always like what God's word says. My flesh and my thinking at times will disagree and not really want to follow it. And what culture says, we can be so influenced by everything going on out there. But God's word has that authority to speak into our lives. But it's not just to inform God's word transforms us. And, and, and so we boldly proclaim the word of God. Whether it's on a Sunday morning, we boldly proclaim the word of God when we are out and about talking with others because we trust and we believe that as God's word goes forth, lost souls are saved, saved souls are strengthened and matured and multiplied all to the glory of God. But God's word gets another reaction on this Sabbath morning and it's pretty crazy. I mean, the people are... Who is this guy? This is amazing. This is astonishing what he's saying. But then look at verse 23, eyes in the word. And it says, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out. There was a demon possessed man in the gathering that morning and he interrupts the meeting. Look at verse 24. What have you, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You are Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. Notice the demon's theology and orthodoxy. It's spot on. The demon, the demon believes what even the disciples had a hard time believing. The demons believe what even you and I can at times have a hard time believing, that Jesus was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. And so what he says comes with an authority of God. And the demon believes that. James 2.19 says, even the demons believe in God. And they believe in God. And, and what do they do though? They shudder. They tremble. Because they know who he is. The demons believe that Jesus is God. Listen church, behind what we are seeing in our world. Behind all the lies, the division, the destruction the confusion in society, in families, in human life, behind the abortion agenda, suicide, made medical assistance in dying, the diseases and viruses that we see, the overdoses, divorce, abuse, false teaching, whether that's in the church or in a cult of some sort, in the wokeism and all the destructive philosophies that we are seeing on full display, full display in our world today, behind it all is the activity of the evil one, the devil. We just called him out. It's, he's behind it all. John 8, 44, good verse for you to look up and for you to know. That Satan, it says, was a murderer from the beginning. That there is no truth in him. 
And when he lies, it says, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of, of, of lies. So, so Satan is a murderer and he's a liar. And Satan and his forces have a grip on this earth. And Satan and his forces have a grip on this man this morning in that Sabbath gathering. But Satan and his demons, they know their end. They know their impending doom. They know the word of God. They know what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, when it talks about them being cast into the lake of fire. And that one day that's going to happen. And so the demon is thinking, is this the day? Is this the day that you're taking and you're going to toss us into the lake of fire? Is this the day that you're coming to destroy us? You see, believe, see demons believe. They believe. They, they have the knowledge. They have the right doctrine. They have the right theology. But they don't trust. They don't trust. It's a begrudging belief that they have. They know their end. They know how it all went south for, for the devil. And, and they chose to follow the devil in his schemes. And it's a begrudging belief. And that's why Jesus, you'll always see it. You're going to see this continually through the Gospels. That's why he tells them, hey, you demon, zip it. Zip it. Don't you dare proclaim who I am. He doesn't want demons doing the work of proclaiming his authority. He doesn't want a begrudging kind of belief. Because sadly, it's possible for people to be sitting in church, even here today, to know your Bibles to have the right theology. You've gone to church for decades even. And you can have some emotionalism from time to time. You can have some guilt that kind of strives you back into some godliness of some sort. Or, uh, and, 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 and from time to time, you, you, you filled your life with religious disciplines. You can have all of that. But if you have never truly, as we talked about last Sunday, if you've never truly trusted in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and have repented of your sins, turning from your agenda and turning to Jesus Christ, and if you have never believed and entrusted your life to Jesus Christ, your end is the same as that of the demons that I just described to you from Revelation 20. Eternal separation from God. The demons don't have an opportunity to repent that long Long went for them. You are alive. Are you alive today? Check your watches. Some of you have the fancy ones that I'm not allowed to have. Um, um, you know, if there's a pulse, you have opportunity if you've never repented today to repent and turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you have never done that, if you have not bended the knee. Oh, you may, you know, I prayed the prayer. Did you repent and have you entrusted your life? And is that now being lived out with gospel fruitfulness? Is there the, the fruitfulness of a life that has been changed and transformed? And so we see this happening here. Satan knows, and the demons, they know their doom. And so they're on a mission. They're on a mission to take as many as they can. They're going to try to make it so that people cannot hear the word of God, so that their eyes are blinded. And then even for those who are believers, he's going to try to make sure we are so distracted and so miserable and so off of the, living the life of being a disciple that we are ineffective and useless in our witness. And he will allow distraction and division and different things to happen in our lives just so that we have no effectiveness for the kingdom. Oh, you're saved. You're in Christ but you better keep your mouth shut because you're a lousy witness. And he's going to try to discourage and defeat 
and divide his people, God's people, any way that he can. And this is why he's turning up the heat on planet Earth. And according to God's word, we know that what we are seeing in our world, it's only going to get worse as the day approaches, the day of Christ's return, of the day that one day, every knee, we're told in Philippians chapter 2, that every knee will one one day bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and even under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But look at what we see here in verse 25. What does Jesus do? He just doesn't let this guy just run off at the mouth. You know, I love this. He shuts him up. Look at this. But Jesus rebuked him. Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. And so they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands and even the unclean spirits and and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere through all the surrounding region of Galilee. (laughs) Loved ones today, listen, there is authority in Jesus There is a power in the name of Jesus and in his word that is available to us as believers today. There's an authority, there's a power. And we do not need to fear Satan. We do not have to believe that he's under under the pulpit somewhere. He's not under a coffee cup. He's not under the bed. We don't have to fear because greater is he that is in us as believers. Who's in us? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus is in us than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. And so Jesus tells them, be silent and come out. Literally, it means be muzzled. Just, just clam them right up and get out of him. And the demon leaves, convuls- leaves him convulsing on the way out. And this man is whole. This man can think. He can talk for himself. He can think for himself. Demons are forced to believe and obey Jesus. Jesus is the name above all names, amen? Jesus is the name that the demons run and they, they, they tremble. And it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will one day bow. Let's be bowing to, to him, to King Jesus, in our hearts and in our lives this day. And until he returns or calls us home, would we be faithful in that? This week I encouraged and challenged our staff, our elders, and many of our leaders. And now I challenge all of you. I, I give you this charge in a greater way. Lead with the word of God. And in prayer, and, and, and in prayer, pray in the name of Jesus. When you're signing off your prayers, if they're biblical prayers, <laughs> sign, sign off in Jesus' name I pray. Not just a quick amen or, 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 or just say his name. There's power in the name of Jesus and the authority that is there. But would we do so in humility and dependency and in line with his word? Loved ones in Christ, determine that God's word is the authority that you will stand on. That it is the authority when we look at our world, when we look at life, when we look at heaven and hell and and God's standard and, and instructions for how we get to heaven and how we avoid hell. We look to Jesus, to his word as the authority. But also, and so we stand on the authority of God's word, but also would we go under the authority of God's word as well. Place ourselves in humility. Allow God's word to shape our lives and our thinking, not just to be something that we stand upon, but that we are submitting ourselves to, to his word. So authority marked the life of Jesus. We see that conviction. Second conviction that marked the life of Jesus 
was compassion. Jesus was filled with compassion. Look at verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So after the service was over, Jesus and his four disciples, they head on over to Simon's house in Capernaum there. And so they head on over there. I think probably all of you could agree there's nothing like a good meal after church, amen? Amen. I, I remember growing up in church and uh, going home, and we'd come home to the smell of roast beef in the oven. Oh, roast beef, mashed potatoes, gravy, and a salad. Oh, man. And, 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 and even though I got older, didn't want to have a nap, we all had to take naps, it seemed. And, and, and yet, but I had, ro- I mean, that roast beef dinner was amazing. Some of you probably have some similar memories to that, or even now. It's just like, oh, Sunday afternoon, Sunday noon meal is awesome. And so Jesus is no doubt hungry as, as, as he had a full morning. I mean, he's, he's up teaching, he's preaching in the synagogue, and then all of a sudden, what, what, he casts out this demon. I mean, this is going on, and, and as they get to the house, though, they realize there's no roast beef dinner cooking. This is a problem, like there's nothing in the oven. Lunch isn't ready, we're hungry. And it says, verse 30, look at this. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So Peter's mother is sick with a fever, and therefore there's nothing for them to eat, it would seem. And it says immediately Jesus took her by the hand, and she is healed completely, instantly, full recovery takes place. And what does she do? She got up and made them dinner. Now, now, I'm making this sound, and you're going to hear in a few moments, this may sound a little self, like a self-serving miracle. Jesus was hungry, and like, woman, get up and make me something, and so he heals her so he can have a sandwich. And I know some of you kids and some of you husbands might be thinking, Jesus needs to come to our house so we could have a good lunch after church. This wasn't about Jesus getting a sandwich. No, here we see the compassion of Jesus. He takes her by the hand, and what does he do? He heals her. He heals her. Now, her fever wasn't more than likely life-threatening, life-altering. But you know what? This shows us that Jesus has compassion, and he cares about the little areas in our lives, and he carries, cares about the big areas. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. We just... If it continues to rain, like everyone, make room. If you've got an empty seat in, in where you're sitting, just kind of move in so that those that are in the bleacher section can uh, have uh, a little recovery there. And just going to encourage um, any of the sound guys or whatever just to keep an eye on any weird openings or whatever where rain could fall and fry more equipment. I think this one plug-in might need some assistance. So, yeah, just kind of move in if you're able to. If you, uh, and if you want to get wet, um, showers of blessing. We should sing that. Remember that old song? Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drop around us are falling, but for the showers we need. Something like that. I've never had an intermission in a sermon before. First time for everything, right? Awesome. You want me to sing? I'm not going to sing. No, that, that, that won't happen. So here, Jesus heals this woman, and instantly she's healed. And what does she do? She gets up and she starts serving. 
this is God's way of telling us in his word. She is healed, she is touched by Jesus, and now she gets to do what she loves to do. This was her Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This was her spiritual act of worship. And you know, serving Jesus, serving others, if our lives, if your life has been touched and changed and your spirit has been healed by Jesus, the natural reflex reaction is to want to serve him, is going to be to want to give ourselves in his service. And so here we see this reflex reaction out of God's goodness and kindness to us. We desire to serve. Well, Jesus, his day still wasn't done. They were able to eat a good meal and they're just relaxing, just taking it easy, perhaps dozing off, having a little nap. But look at in verse 32, eyes on the word of God. And it says in verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And again, so beautifully, we see the compassion of Jesus. The Sabbath is now officially over. Okay, so, so this Sabbath for Jews is they would celebrate the Sabbath, which it also meant that there was various rules and, 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 and laws on how far you could walk on the Sabbath and, and what you could carry on the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath was over when they would look up and they could see three stars in the sky. And then they knew the Sabbath is over, let's go. Because news from the synagogue that morning had spread throughout the region. You should see what Jesus did. He cast out a demon. He has an authority about him. So they're over at the house and Jesus is healing and he's casting out evil spirits. And he's doing this late into the night. And so he's doing this beautifully. Again, compassion about the little areas, a fever. A fever that she's probably going to recover from. Jesus cares. And then he's doing the big work. He's healing the people of sickness and diseases and he's casting out demons. Jesus cares. He's compassionate. And look at verse 32. They brought to Jesus those who were sick. I wonder today... If your life, if you have been touched by Jesus, who are you now taking to Jesus? How are you serving the kingdom cause? How are you that reflex reaction of desiring to serve King Jesus? Who are you bringing to Jesus in prayer, in love, in caring, in serving? Who do you need to invite to church so they can hear the gospel message? Who do you need to go out for a coffee with and share the gospel message with? Just get them to Jesus. And let him do the work in their lives. He is mighty to save. Then thirdly, we're rolling through this. Jesus spent time with the Father. His third conviction. Verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. You would think that this would be a morning that Jesus would say, you know what, I'm taking half a day off. After everything that just went down, I'm going to sleep in, we'll have brunch, and then we'll see what's going to go on. See, mother-in-law's feeling a lot better, aren't you? Let's get some, something going there. On, and, no, he, he doesn't do that. What happens early in the morning? He, he rises, he goes to a desolate place, and there he prays. He got away from distractions. He got up early. He got alone with his heavenly father. Jesus needed that sweet communion with his father. And here is Jesus, God in the flesh, perfect man, mighty man, mighty in power. What's he demonstrating? What's he modeling for us? Dependency upon our heavenly father. 
No doubt during this time, he was praying for himself. No doubt during this time that he was praying for his disciples. He was praying for wisdom. He was praying for unity. Here at Hope, what, what, what Jesus is doing here is something we call God time. That's the first of our five Gs that, that is so important, is that we would spend time with God daily, God time daily, to refresh and refocus the soul. It's where we get filled up so we can pour out. It's where, and when we spend time with God, we get direction, we get guidance, we get hope, we get communion with God. God time daily isn't just something that we do out of guilt or check marks. It's like, well, I want to be a good little Christian. No, that's not it. God time is something that we do out of relationship, out of thanksgiving for all that he has done for us. And so oftentimes, when I talk with people who are struggling with various battles, addictions, fear, their strife, anger, nine times out of ten, their God time daily is like nothing or really hit and miss, and it's more miss than hit. So oftentimes when we're in the battle and we're struggling and it feels like we're just being cycled down, it's because we're not spending time as we should daily in the word of God. And again, it's not this rule, it's not this regulate, oh, you gotta do this. It's built out of a desire because it's understanding that biblical Christianity, first and foremost, is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about that relationship and we wanna spend time with him. And then fourthly, Jesus understood his mission. Look at verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and teaching demons. Jesus didn't allow the pressure of the crowd, the pressure of his disciples to get to him. Peter comes up to him and he's like, Peter, come on. P Peter saying to him, Look at everyone's looking for you. Where are you, man? Come on, we've got the crowd. We got everything going on. It, he's, it seems like he's scolding Jesus here. Come on, Jesus, we've got work to do. What are you doing here in this place? Let's go. We've got something great going. We're trending. The following, I, I'm here and people are coming from all over the news. Is, let, let's make Capernaum here our home base. Let, let, let's set this up as central headquarters. We can put up a huge tent. We can put some nice dirt on the floor. Mother-in-law is up for cooking for us and for the disciples. It's going to be so good. It's going to be so awesome. But Jesus, strengthened by that time with his father, he understood his mission. And he wasn't deterred by the crowds, by the following by the pull of the day, he knew his mission. His mission, our mission, his work, our work is to be about his kingdom work. And Jesus says, nope, let's move on to the next town. This is why I have come. And when it says move on to the next town, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the little insignificant little hick towns. He's not talking going to the big cities. He is desiring to just go wherever he can and get the good news of the gospel out. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to draw a big crowd and a big following and bring some temporary relief to people by healing them. His miracles were an appendage to the gospel message. They weren't the main deal. It, it, it showed how he was mighty and powerful and almighty God. And, and we'll see later on even the winds and the waves obey him. But his miracles just point to his deity. He desires to come and bring change to the human heart. Jesus comes preaching and declaring the gospel, the good news. He, he, he's, he came to offer eternal life, not just a temporary relief. 
to turn from your ways, turn from your sins, and live a whole new life. So let's go to the little towns. Let's go to those little hick towns all along the Sea of Galilee, out in the wilderness. Let's go. Every life counts. Every town matters. So let's go. You know what? Even here at Hope, we just see this passage just being so even helpful even this past week that we desire to be on mission for Jesus, be on Jesus' mission, not have a mission and then tell and ask Jesus to, to bless it. No, our mission as a church is, is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commandment, doing that in the spirit of the great commission, in the spirit of the great commandment, to go and make, to share the gospel, to call people to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, and then to train and to teach and to disciple so that we're maturing and then multiplied to see lost souls saved and saved souls matured and multiplied. And Jesus gave us those commands in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. Go, every one of you. And he says, I'll be with you. You're going to have authority. I'll be with you. Our mission isn't for our comfort. Even part of the reason why we're out here to, is this really comfortable? Not the most. You don't have air conditioning. I mean, it's all of a sudden, okay, we're going to get rained on. Is this going to happen? No, we want to gather together this summer and we want to unite together. We want to pray together, but we want to also too, we want to be sent out through the week. We want to be sent out throughout the central Okanagan here and to see lost people saved. We desire to see churches that are planted throughout this valley that are upholding the word of God. Our mission isn't for your comfort, it's for salvation of lost people, and it's for all of our sanctification, for our spiritual growth. And so our dream isn't bigness as a church to be some big church that one day will fill up this parking lot. That isn't our dream. That isn't our desire. So I honestly do believe that the era of the mega church is coming to an end. And that maybe in some ways it hasn't been as effective as possible with celebrity pastors, and you see what's been going on in so many ways in that. And, 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 and large mega churches cause a lot of people to just fill seats and get up and leave. Yes, there are those who do serve faithfully and different things like that, but we're called to be in the mission, not just show up on a Sunday and then be blessed and then go about living our lives and have a little feel good, a little conviction, and you know, maybe do a little bit here and there. No, that's not what it's about. It's about investing our lives in the kingdom. And so we believe that smaller is greater. And even as we trust the Lord for future church plants, campuses that could lead in the Lord's timing to church plants throughout this valley. This is what we're trusting him for. We trust that this will be a hub. This will be a hub of seeing God do a work with solid churches throughout this valley for the glory of God. And so Jesus was, was driven by these convictions. He was driven by authority and power of God's word. He was driven by compassion for others. He was driven by time, dependency, God time daily in his life. He was driven by mission. I wonder who or what is driving your life today. The pressures of the day, the trends of society, the social status, is that driving your life today? The lures, the distraction of this life, this world? You're looking at the Instagram life and you're like, I want that, I need that, I have to have it at any cost. Please don't let it be at the cost of your soul or the souls of those around you. No, we are to be living out on mission for the King of Kings. The lures and the distractions of the world will come to get us off that mission. But oh, would we be our mission for King Jesus, the servant king. Let's bow our heads.
This time the band is going to come, the prayer partners are going to come, and they're going to be under the prayer tent. And if you would like prayer, if you would like to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ while we are worshiping the Lord, is I'm going to call a communion service to come up at this time as well. They're all going to get prepared, but just as they're doing that, I'd just lo- love for you just to silence your heart and just by looking down, perhaps closing your eyes, as we just ponder a few things of what we talked about today. It can be very easy for us to quit noticing and not to care. It's very easy for us to have a cold heart as we live in the very places where God has planted us, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our schools. And it's very easy to be living for our mission, to forget the gospel, to forget what Christ has done for us, And it's so easy to take this all for granted. We must remember, and we come at the end here today, to remember that there was a perfect Lamb of God who would satisfy the wrath of the Father and that at the cross there would be that final demonstration of authority over evil. And on the cross that Jesus conquered sin and in the empty tomb Jesus conquered death. And because of that, there is grace and strength for every battle and struggle. And we can approach the throne of God with confidence as his sons and his daughters because we stand as believers in Christ who have repented of our sins. We stand then in the righteousness of Christ and we have access to God the Father. And I wonder today, where do you need the authority of God's word applied into your life, into your thinking, to be able to trust his word, to trust his promises, to speak forth his word to others. Where do you need that compassionate touch of Jesus, first of all, in your own life? Cast all your cares upon him because he cares. And who do you need to be showing compassion to? Please, this summer, spend time daily with God in your God time daily. Don't neglect that. May you get stronger in that this summer. And would we be about his kingdom work? Heavenly Father, we would pray that we would be conformed to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And we can't do that on our own power and strength. The Holy Spirit does that as we have that desire and as we commit with discipline and with perseverance to want to follow you and to live for you. Oh, with zeal, with the zeal of our lives be as such that we would live the gospel, we would live to share the good news first and foremost and take this news to the brokenness all around us. Would you use the influence that you give every one of us? Everyone has certain levels of influence in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities in our workplaces where you've landed us, would we use that influence to make much of you and to proclaim your truth? Even though it will get reactions, even though it won't be popular, you will be faithful and you will lead and you will strengthen us. Lead us as a church. And thank you, Jesus, that even today, and we pray that even today, as you did last Sunday, would you do it again this week? We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bring dead people to life. You would bring blind eyes and you would open them so that they would see the glory of the gospel. People who are spiritually dead become alive as followers of Jesus Christ today. 
Would you do that this week as we share the good news of the gospel? And you do this and are enabled and enable us to do it because of your shed blood on the cross that covers our sins. And we praise and we thank you. And we worship and we give thanks. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be celebrating with the Lord's Supper and there's three stations here at the front and as you are ready, come as the band leads us in, in worship. Come and grab, it's a two-cup system, so they're one inside the other. You don't need to grab two cups, you just grab one. The bottom is the bread, the top is the cup. They got the right order, which is good. And, uh, and, and, and so take that and hold on to it and then we're going to partake together. And everyone is invited to partake in the Lord's Supper with us. If you have repented of your sins, you are believing and trusting the gospel. You might say, my life is a mess. I've done that, but man, I'm so far from the Lord today. Hey, it's, it's time to get back. It's time to get back. Confess your sin, get right with the Lord in confession, and then at the very end, we will partake of the Lord's Supper together. So hold on to that. And as you're holding on to it, thank him for his broken body and his shed blood that was for you and for me for all of us who would call upon his name and be saved. And so let's stand together and when you are ready, come and partake and take it back to 